the steel door slammed shut as I entered into the room, and then I heard it lock behind me. I was in a visitation room at Lancaster County Prison. There was only one other person in the room. Seated at the table was a murderer who was waiting for his legal situation to play out. He had taken someone's life and was now waiting for his sentence. He was anxious. He was fearful. Presumably because he was guilty. A reality that he did not deny. The legal process would drag on for months. Imagine, imagine for a moment being in a courtroom, hearing your name read. Imagine hearing not only your name read, but the charges confirmed, the jury's verdict being announced, and then eventually the day arrives for the judge to hand down your sentence. Imagine hearing that you would be condemned to death as the result of your own actions. Would you please turn in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Romans. In the pew copy, you'll find it on page 795, or if you're using a device, it's the sixth book of the Christian New Testament. We'll get to chapter 8 eventually, but we are going to begin at the end of chapter 5 this morning. Romans declares to us the undeserved, unmatched, and unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We're working our way through the third division of Romans, which gives to us an assurance of the gospel. Praise God for what he did for us over the last two Sunday mornings as we studied in Romans chapter 7. It's been wonderful to hear how God used those two particular studies in our church. Praise him, right? Praise God. He is good to use his word Sunday after Sunday for his people, not only at harvest, but around the world for his own glory. Throughout history, Romans 8 has been one of the most beloved chapters of the Bible. It's really, really glorious. This chapter picks up, chapter 8 picks up where chapter 5 left off. So I want us to look back at chapter 5 and look at the last few verses of chapter 5. I'm going to point out a couple of things about chapters 6 and 7, and then we'll get to chapter 8. Romans chapter 5, verse number 18 says, Therefore, so based on what's happened so far in the chapter, therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to, say the word out loud with me, ready? Condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man, Adam's, disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin, that as, as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul uses 
these, these, the ending of chapter 5 to, to kind of confirm for us what he's been teaching us all along and the reality of the assurance that a Christian can have of being right with God. And then chapter 6 and 7 kind of address two faulty responses, that possible faulty responses to what he's outlined for us in the end of chapter 5. Chapter 6 addresses the idea of being spiritually sloppy. Hey, I've got grace. God's grace has abounded much more than my sin. I can just kind of live how I want to live. Paul uses chapter 6 to say, no, 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 not so. If you've been, been united to Christ in his death, you're certainly united to Christ in his resurrection. It's not just a free-for-all. Chapter 7 then addresses the other f potential faulty response, that I need to obey the law, that I just got to, I got to follow all the rules, I got to make sure that I'm doing everything the Bible says, because then I will be right with God, and then I will have an assurance of my standing with God. And Paul likewise says, not so. Both of those are, are faulty. Both of those responses to the end of chapter 5 will leave you with a lack of assurance of your standing with God. So that brings us to chapter 8. Christian, you don't need to live in doubt. You don't have to fear death. Listen to the gracious words of assurance from this text. If you're here as, and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you actually are currently facing a death sentence. That's the bad news. The good news is that that death sentence can be removed. Would you follow along, Christian and non-Christian alike, as I read from Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirits. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weakened through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the, righteous, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirits. Here we will read of what the Holy Spirit does on behalf of Christians. One of the chief works of God, the Holy Spirit, is to provide assurance to Christians that they are God's child. So the Holy Spirit is mentioned some 21 times in Romans chapter 8. One of the chief works of the Holy Spirit is to assure Christians that we are children of God. Christian, you can be assured that there is no condemnation. You can be assured that no condemnation means no condemnation now and forever. And that only happens through Jesus. So Paul says, let's live the rest of our life as a thank you to Jesus. In these four verses, we see five ways in which God the Holy Spirit assures Christians of their standing with God. First, we see that the Spirit of life, as Paul calls the Holy Spirit, assures 
of no condemnation. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. A quick translation note. The oldest manuscripts don't have the phrase, the end of, the, of, of verse, uh, verse 1 right there, that says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You'll notice that, that phrase is in verse number 4, and, and we'll see that in the oldest manuscripts, but it was added to verse number 1 by those who were copying the Scriptures, most likely. I point that out to you for a couple of reasons. If you're reading a more modern translation that, that and actually uses the oldest manuscripts, Modern translations use the older manuscripts. Um, your translation won't have that phrase. You don't need to panic. It's an accurate reading of the word. I point it out secondly because of a potential misunderstanding that could be had as reading that, that verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It should end there, but it says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In other words, we don't escape condemnation we don't escape condemnation because we don't walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Rather, we escape condemnation because we are in Christ. So Paul combines here, at the beginning of verse, verse number 1, this word therefore and now to emphatically drive home the point that there is no condemnation in light of all that he has described in, in, in the first seven chapters of his epistle. In other words... Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation, because God shows no partiality, because salvation is a gift of grace through the blood of Christ, because we have been justified by faith and not by works, because chapter 5 verse 1, we have peace with God, because we have been united to Christ's death and his resurrection, because we are no longer bound by God's law, because though we are a wretched man, we have been delivered by Christ Jesus. Because of all of that in, in chapters 1 through 7, because of all that has been taught, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There may not be a more reassuring verse in all of the scriptures. We cannot deny our guilt, can we? We cannot deny that we deserve condemnation. We are sinners. Just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden sin, we sin. We cannot deny that that was the original sentence handed down from the one who was the judge of the whole earth to the first man and to the first woman. The penalty for sin is eternal death. The penalty for sinning against God is facing his judgment forever in a very real place called hell. But, Paul says, for all who are in Christ... There isn't going to be any of that condemnation. What? There will be no penalty for anyone who is in Christ. There is no longer the, the threat of punishments. There is no longer the dread of future penalty. There is no longer a fear of death. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have been moved outside the realm of possible condemnation. All condemnation is gone. There's none left for those of us who are in Christ. We have to understand that this new status of no condemnation is, is not temporary. It's eternal. There's no condemnation for us today or this week, or there's no condemnation for us for all of eternity. Christian, I wonder, 
Do you ever feel like you're, you might slip back into the status of condemnation? We considered last week this idea of wretched man that I am and recognized we're a mess, right? And when we're in that, in that state and we're, we're crying out the desperate cries, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're tempted. If we're honest with ourselves, we're tempted to think, ah, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm falling back into this state. Maybe I am going to face condemnation. We're tempted to believe that we're going to, to, be, to, to face God's wrath for, for our sin. Do you ever feel like you might still be under condemnation? Do you ever feel like your no condemnation status is temporary or maybe that it's only applicable if you're living or living right, living a godly way? Paul says, don't think that way. Christian, you can be assured that no condemnation means no condemnation, both now and forever. That only happens through Jesus. So Paul says, let's live our life as a thank you to Jesus. The spirit of life assures with no condemnation. Secondly, the spirit of life assures with complete liberation. Verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's important to remember that there are two potential ways of salvation. Now, hang on. I'm going to explain. Perfect, the, the two ways are either we perfectly obey the law that God has given to us, or God's grace. If we can completely obey God for all of our life, if we can go through this life without ever sinning, if we, we, could, be reunited, we could be reunited with God without uh, facing condemnation. That's one way that we, could, that we would not have to face condemnation, if we could perfectly obey all the time. But the glaring reality is that we cannot do that. We sin in this life, don't we? We sin every year. We sin every month. We sin every week. We sin every day. It doesn't matter if we sinned once or if we sinned a million times. James tells us, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet break it in one point, he's guilty of all of it. So no human being can have the sentence of condemnation removed by keeping the law because none of us can keep the law. So in reality... It's not a viable option for our salvation. The other potential way of salvation is the grace of God through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in reality, that's the only way of salvation. Jesus himself said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father except through me. The law failed. The law was binding. It didn't fail because it was bad. Paul has already covered that with us. It was spiritual. It was good. It was right. It failed because we failed. We could not obey it all. And that is why this, how the spirit of life assures us. We have been set free. We have been liberated from, from any attempts at law keeping in order to have salvation. We've been liberated from the bondage of the law. Do you see how liberating it is to, to be honest about your wretchedness? Do you see how liberating it is to be honest about your wretchedness and, and confidence in your forgiveness from God. You don't need to cover up. You don't need to deceive yourself or others into the reality of, of your struggle. Christian, you are liberated from the law of sin and death. You are no longer tasked with measuring up 
You can't measure up anyway. You've been liberated from the attempts of trying to measure up. Christian, you can be assured that no condemnation means no condemnation. Now and forever. The spirit of life liberates us. But how is, how is that freedom facilitated? In other words, Paul announces that the spirit of life has liberated us, but how is that actualized? And we see that in verse 3 where we see the spirit of life assures through the successful incarnation. How, it, how does it come? How does this liberation come? It comes from outside of us. We don't liberate ourselves. We are liberated. It doesn't happen by us. We, we can't liberate ourselves. That's what the incarnation is all about. Jesus becoming a human being. Look at verse 3. For, the, for what the law could not do, in that it was weakened through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is good news for our worn-out, struggling, sinful hearts. This is good news for us to feast on for a moment this morning. God came after us. God took the initiative to come after us because we couldn't and because we wouldn't. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1 says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, uh, no man, Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's grace, isn't it? God saw us incapable of fulfilling the demands of the law, and God came after us. Romans 3 tells us that no one seeks after God. No one looks for God. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory. So left to ourselves, we're just kind of roaming through life as sinners, rebelling against God, and God comes after us. So maybe it was a parent, a mom or a dad, who introduced to you Jesus. Maybe a friend invited you to come to a church service like this. Maybe you heard something on the radio. Maybe you were given a copy of the scriptures. Whatever the case is, whatever the situation was, somehow, some way, God initiated an, an, a, a work in you. He communicated his word to you. He introduced himself to you. God came looking for you. You see, it all began when Jesus came to the earth to make payment for our sin. So our liberation from the law, our assurance, doesn't rest on us being fully able to keep the law. Our assurance rests fully and completely on Jesus. The only way, to, the only way not to be condemned and the only way to be liberated is through God taking on flesh. You know, it's really important for us to note how Paul said it in verse number 3. Paul said that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul didn't say that Jesus came in sinful flesh. Jesus came, but he didn't become a sinner. Jesus came in the flesh, but not in sinful flesh. Jesus remained perfectly sinless 
while he was in the flesh. Further, Paul didn't say that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh. He doesn't say that Jesus came in something that was like humanity, but Jesus came in the flesh. He became fully human. He took on flesh. So Jesus was fully God and fully man at his incarnation. He remained sinless during his incarnation. And that's the only way that the incarnation could be successful. A successful incarnation. We like to watch successful missions in our world, don't we? Maybe you read about a daring rescue. A rescue mission maybe during World War II. Or maybe you watch a, a Dateline episode of success, a successful mission to catch the bad guys. Or maybe you watched recently how civilians have successfully been flown, shot, or whatever they did up into space and successfully returned to Earth a few minutes later. A successful mission is determined by whether or not that mission accomplished its goal. Christ's incarnation was successful because it accomplished its goal. As the second person of the Godhead, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law as a human being. He came in the flesh. Christ's death on the cross fulfilled the requirements of the law. Friend, when you doubt your standing with God, when Satan tempts you to distrust, when you worry about your eternal destiny because you are such a great sinner, remind yourself that Jesus is a greater Savior. Remind yourself that Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. Remind yourself that Jesus had a successful incarnation, and remind yourself that Jesus was perfect in your place. Christian, you can be assured that no condemnation means no condemnation now and forever, and that only happens to Jesus. So we're called to live the rest of our life as a thank you Jesus. The Spirit assures of no condemnation. The Spirit assures of our liberation from the law. The Spirit assures with the successful, reminding us of the successful incarnation. Fourthly, the Spirit of life assures through a legal justification. We're up to verse number four now. It says, why? That the, righteous require, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. So why did Christ condemn sin in the flesh? So that the righteous requirement of the law could be fulfilled in us. The requirement of the law couldn't be just arbitrarily canceled by God. And God could not do that and remain just. So through Christ's actions, God, Jesus satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. His perfect life is sufficient. God put on Christ the very condemnation that was due us. So there's this legal exchange that takes place. It's fair and square. Jesus lived a perfect life. He took on our condemnation, and God accepts that in our place because we lived a sinful life, and we were sentenced to condemnation. So God takes this and puts it on us, and God takes this and puts it on Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God has made Christ to be sin for us. 
Christ, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ becomes what we are so that we can become what He is. We don't receive free salvation. It costs. Jesus paid the full payments. We get credited for that payments. That's how we are declared to be not guilty. The, righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law was still fulfilled in us, not because we fulfilled it, but because Jesus fulfilled it. So how can, can a guilty human being be declared not guilty? Only through Jesus. We acknowledge our inability, and we acknowledge Christ's ability. Friends, if you have gathered with us this morning, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not yet in Christ, you're not God's child, you aren't united to his death and to his resurrection. Maybe you've been here many, many times. Maybe this, maybe this is the first time you've gathered with us here at Harvest Bible Church. I invite you even now to accept the gift of God's grace to you and to place your trust in Jesus, that Jesus worked, that he fulfilled the righteousness requirement of the law that you could not fulfill. I invite you to acknowledge your inability, that you are a sinner, to repent of that and to trust in Jesus. If you have questions about what that might mean or how that might look or what else the, the Bible says about this good news, chat with us after the service or later this week. We'll be happy to show you from God's Word what it means to be a Christian. And Christian, for us, it's easy for us to forget about the reality that it's all about Jesus. If we were taking a test, let's say we're taking a, a theology test and we passed out a survey this morning, we would all say, yes, it's in Jesus, in Christ alone. We sang it, we'll amen it. We understand that in our head. But I think sometimes we forget about it in our head and we forget about it in our heart. And we live this life as if it's about our ability to keep the law. And we become forgetful that it is all about what Christ did, that Jesus paid it all, that it's in Christ alone that I have hope in this life and I don't have to fear death. Friends, be reminded this morning that you can't do anything to save yourself, but also be reminded that Jesus did everything. Live your life as a continued thank you note. Paul says a spirit assures with no condemnation. The spirit assures with a complete liberation. The spirit of life assures by reminding us of the successful incarnation. The spirit of life assures by telling us about this legal justification. And lastly, in this passage, we see that the spirit of life assures by reminding us about the ongoing sanctification. He says in verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And here's that phrase that is included in, in the oldest manuscripts, and that was copied into verse number 1. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It's a purpose statement, isn't it? Paul is answering the question, why? Why has Jesus fulfilled the righteous, the righteous requirement of the law in us? What does that mean? How does that affect how we live the remaining days of our earthly life? We are called not to walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. In other words, we haven't been liberated from our obedience to the law in order that we just go live however we want. The incarnation wasn't setting us up for freedom to do whatever we wanted to do and to, to continue to live a life of rebellion. 
Rather, we have been saved from all of that. We are being set apart or sanctified to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we look at all of this and we say, wow, I want to live for God. Because it's not about me, because I recognize it's only about Jesus, I want to obey God's law. I want to, to live in a way that pleases God. I want, to, live, I want to, to, to do all that I can to live a godly life. So walking according to the flesh would mean that we're, we're following the things of this world, that we're prioritizing the things that this world prioritizes, that we value what this world values, that we're laying up for ourselves treasures on earth, that we have a humanistic lifestyle, that we follow the world's philosophy. Paul says we don't walk according to the flesh if we are in Christ. We walk according to the Spirit, that we live under the control uh, of God the Spirit, that we value what God values, that we lay up treasures in heaven, that we follow the leading of God, that we prioritize what God prioritizes. Christian, our lives should be spent telling God, thank you, as we live according to the Spirit. Christian, you are not waiting in limbo in some visitor's room in this life. You are not waiting in limbo to hear back from the judge regarding your sentence. You've already been told, no condemnation awaits you. That is not true because that's what you deserve. It's true because of Jesus. Harvest Bible Church, let's spend our lives saying thank you to Jesus. Let's give our dollars to advance this good news. That's why we tithe. That's why we give to gospel advancing works so that others will know that there's no condemnation, that sentence, that guilty sentence can be removed. Let's send out people to the ends of the earth with this message. Let's live ourselves. Let's live godly lives that are not conformed to this world. Let's share the message that through the whole world, that though the whole world deserves condemnation, those who are in Christ will never know that condemnation. And then let us, with great confidence, rest in the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Let's stop with the doubt, the fear of death, the uncertainty, and let's rest in the promises that God provides to us. Christian, you can be assured that no condemnation means no condemnation now and forever, and that only happens through Jesus. So let's continue to thank Jesus, even as we come to the table. Before we do that, let's pray.